The Hard Shoulder with Kieran Cuddy with Nissan on News Talk. U.S. politics. U.S. politics on the hard shoulder. On the hard shoulder. Yes, the Cooner Report on WRKO AM 680 Radio in Boston is hosted by Jeffrey T. Cooner. Liberalism's worst nightmare, a conservative nationalist who champions God, country and family. And I'm delighted to say, as always, at this time of the Thursday, Jeff is with me now. Jeff, how are things in the colonies? Well, uh, we're, we're going to have Super Tuesday on March 5th. And I think that's going to be the end of Nikki Haley. Uh, Trump won big in Michigan. Uh, he beat her by over 36 points. He's clearly now in the driver's seat. There's going to be over a dozen states at play, including, by the way, Massachusetts. And Trump is in, I mean, an absolute commanding lead. Uh, in some states, I kid you not, Kieran, he's up 50. In other states, he's up 60, even 70 points. It will be the knockout blow, and it will be over for Haley. And we are now very close to a, tr- uh, to a Trump-Biden rematch. Okay, so so that is the story on the... Republican ticket. I mean, it is all but certain at this state. Legal challenges notwithstanding, we might come back to them uh, in a moment and the latest on that front, that it will be Trump's name on the ticket. It is, you know, all but assured it's going to be Biden's as well. But I understand that uh, kind of voters in Michigan fired a few shots across the Biden bow this week, did they? Yeah, that's a very good point, Kieran. Uh, The primary was also held in Michigan for the Democrats. And over 100,000 Democrats voted, quote unquote, uncommitted, meaning anybody but Biden. And most of those voters, and Biden has been seeing this in the opinion polls, are Christian Arab Americans, Muslim Arab Americans. Uh, the, the largest number of Arab Americans reside in Michigan. Uh, their heartland is Dearborn. And they are a key, key constituency for the Democratic Party. Without the Arab American vote, Biden or, frankly, any Democrat national leader, it's not just him, cannot win Michigan. Now, many of your listeners may say, well, OK, so he loses Michigan. What's the big deal? Well, for for Democrats, they they refer to Michigan and a neighboring state, Wisconsin, these two Rust Belt states as the wall, the blue wall. In other words, OK, even if the Democrats do poorly, say, in North Carolina or Georgia or even lose Pennsylvania, because the natural um, uh, nature of the Electoral College favors them, once you get to Michigan and Wisconsin, if they win Michigan and Wisconsin, the Democrats win the election. Mm. It's their wall. Trump shattered that wall in 2016. It's the reason why he beat Hillary. Biden reshored that wall, and it was a key reason why he beat Trump. If Michigan falls, and it's not so much that Arab Americans are going to vote for Trump, maybe they don't like Trump, they're just going to stay out of the race. They're either not going to vote or they're going to go third party. That's going to sink Biden's candidacy. And if he loses Michigan, he may lose the whole ballgame. And uh, this seems like an obvious uh, uh, question to ask, but it's it's Israel, it's Gaza. That's the issue for Arab Americans. Yes, yes. It's, It's the war in Israel between Israel and Gaza. Uh, the left wing of the party is dead set against it. They believe that Biden has sold out. He has betrayed the Palestinians. He has betrayed the civilians of Gaza, that he has tethered himself to Benjamin Netanyahu. And what they feel, whatever you think about October 7th and the attacks by Hamas, that the response has not been proportionate, that it has been brutal. It has targeted civilians. 
Uh, it has leveled cities all across Gaza, caused a huge humanitarian crisis, and Arab Americans in particular feel betrayed by Joe Biden. And they are letting it be known. Uh, Kieran, I got to tell you, uh, Democrats are openly saying if the war in Gaza is not ended by the summer, by the Democratic convention, then he will lose the Arab American vote in November. And, and they are very worried. And, and what's the view beyond the kind of Arab American community, Jeff, about what's happening? Well, the country's very split, like on everything else. Generally, generally, Republicans and conservatives are pro-Israel. So they're going to give Netanyahu all the all the rope and all the time and resources he needs to wipe out Hamas completely. Generally, Democrats and liberals or center left um, center left voters tend to be much more sympathetic to the Palestinians. So although there was a lot of initial support for Israel, uh, outraged by the images and the photos of the massacre that took place on October 7th, the longer this operation has gone on, you can see in the polls, mm. support is slipping, slipping, slipping. And for Biden in particular, among Democrats, this is an albatross for him. It, like, and he's under tremendous pressure to end this war. Is he? Like beyond the Arab-American community, it is an albatross, is it? I mean, I just wonder, oh, what, no question. What, like people do care about it, do they? That seems no, kind no, of a I mean, dismissive. No, no, I mean, liberal, liber, yeah, liberal Democrat politicians say, Congresswoman Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, to yeah. give you an example, she's a leading voice among progressives, has really hammered Biden on this war. Uh, there's open revolt, and they are criticizing him. They're disparaging him. Uh, many are saying they're even going to vote third party if it comes down to it, the Green Party or uh, another party led by Cornell West, who's very pro-Palestinian. So the Biden regime now realizes that his political future, and really that of the Democrats in November is at stake, they're starting to put the screws into Netanyahu. That's why there's growing pressure for a ceasefire. And privately, Biden has told Netanyahu, by the summer, this war must end or else I will pull the plug on Israel. Uh, and we even see this today. I mean, the, the reports of a, a kind of a, a, an incident in Gaza whereby the IDF were accused of opening fire on civilians who were queuing up at an aid station. And and I guess it speaks to the point that you're making. A lot of people may be a little surprised at how quickly the Biden administration has come out to kind of to criticise that. You, you know, usually there would be a kind of a fact-finding mission before they would criticise Netanyahu or the Israeli state or the Israeli government. Much quicker oh, to criticise them today. Yeah, no, Karen, you nailed it. Two months ago, Biden would have said nothing. You know, Biden, he would have come out and said, well, you know, we condemn it, we deplore it, but, you know, we blame Hamas and Israel's got to do what it has to do and there'll be collateral damage. Now uh, they're saying you're not going to get weapons. You're not going to get financial aid. We're not going to support you at the U.N. Uh, he's now gone ahead of Netanyahu saying he wants a two state solution. He wants the Palestinians to have an independent state, West Bank, Gaza, maybe even East Jerusalem as its capital. Uh, Netanyahu has pushed back saying, no way, not while I'm prime minister. So you're starting to see now a growing rift between Israel and the Biden regime. And a lot of it is being driven by domestic politics. If Americans are going to the polls today, though, Jeff, where would this rank in terms of priority? You know, it's like you, 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 you a few weeks ago were saying to me, listen, it's immigration. Im immigration is the issue that, that will decide uh, uh, this 
election for a lot of Americans. Is that still yes. the case, ultimately? Yeah, no, no question. No question. Immigration, inflation in the economy is number two. Crime is number three. But number four, it's quite high, is the war in Ukraine and the war in Gaza. And Trump is touting himself as the peace candidate, that he will end the war in Ukraine very quickly. Mm. But he's also vowing he will end the war in Gaza. This is not the Trump of 2016, where he says, I'm with Israel no matter what. He said, I will call Netanyahu, and we're going to end this. He wants peace in the Middle East. He wants peace in Ukraine. The reason, he's got to focus on the border and all of the internal problems we have here. So Biden now wants to wind down the war in Gaza, and he wants to give Ukraine as much help as possible to deliver a big blow to Putin. Well, it's, I, I actually thought of Donald Trump uh, yesterday when kind of the news emerged that Emmanuel Macron w- was not entirely ruling out the possibility of NATO troops on the ground uh, in Ukraine. And we saw Vladimir Putin today kind of uh, threatening nuclear war in response uh, to it. And, and why I thought of Donald Trump was, I, I, I would imagine that would play into his hands, not the prospect of troops on the ground, but the fact that another NATO leader is even entertaining the idea that if you were a kind of a, 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 you're a standard American, you're going to work every day, you're making money, you're putting food on the table, you're not too worried about what's going on in the rest of the world. You've got enough to, to, to occupy um, your bandwidth. Um, and you're kind of, you've got isolationist tendencies or maybe not isolationist, but kind of, you know, you, you, you tend to look inward more than outward. I mean, the prospect of a NATO war in Ukraine must be appalling. Look, I'll be very candid with you, Karen. I th- I think Macron's a lunatic. Look, Putin is a butcher. Putin is a criminal. He's a war criminal. He invaded Ukraine. Ukraine has every right to defend itself. Please don't get me wrong. But if you send NATO troops into Ukraine, you are begging for World War III with Russia. And I think Putin has shown himself to be a man who's very serious. If he's cornered and you know backed up into uh, against the wall, he will use nuclear weapons. And the question Europe has to ask itself, America has to ask itself, is the Donbass, is Crimea, is eastern Ukraine, no matter how deplorable the Russians are behaving, is it worth nuclear potential Armageddon? And this has been Trump's argument the whole time, that the war in Ukraine is dangerous, it can escalate, Mm. it can spread out of control, and if it does... It will be the end of the world as we know it. It could be World War Three. But you know that the alternative argument then, Jeff, that people make is, uh, yeah, while, while I agree in the abstract with everything Jeff has just said, I mean, if you do sue for peace in order to avoid World War Three, the Xi Jinping's of this world think, you know what, I've got my eye on Taiwan and the West have shown themselves, you know, they're not really up for the fight. Well, that's, you know, that's the Achilles heel in the argument. There's no question. But the question is, then, what kind of a negotiated peace do you get? Sure, if you give Putin a store, it emboldens Xi Jinping. But if Putin doesn't get that much, and, you know, he's got problems, the sanctions have really eaten into his economy. Uh, His regime is deeply unpopular. Uh, There's been a lot of Russians dead. Uh, The people at home want this war to end as well in Mother Russia. So if you can get a peace deal or a negotiated settlement, that preserves much of Ukraine's land, sovereignty, and territory, and doesn't give Putin very much, Xi Jinping's going to ask himself, do I want the same thing? Do I want the West to unite against me? And I've got two, three years 
of fighting in Taiwan with a lot of body bags coming home. So it's not a question of should we have peace? Mm. It's a question of what kind of peace. Jeff Cooner, host of the Cooner Report on WRKO AM 680 Radio in Boston, Massachusetts. Jeff, as always, thanks a million for joining us. The Hard Shoulder with Kieran Cuddy with Nissan. Weekdays from four on News Talk.